What about your favorite train films? Hmm. Well, obviously, The Great Train Robbery. Oh, a, cl- <laughs> a classic. <laughs> right at the Porter? Top. Or, yeah. Or, uh, Is that Porter? The, the train arrives at the station. <laughs> <laughs> Is that my guy, Porter? <laughs> Imagine, oh, like, Edwin, Edwin fucking S. Porter, auteurists in, like, 1903. <laughs> the movies didn't have credits. They're like, is this the new Porter? <laughs> now I want to see Edwin Porter fan cams. The policeman isn't there to create disorder. The policeman is there to preserve disorder. Gentlemen, get the thing straight once and for all. We clear the streets along this route, deploy our men, and create an impassable barrier. A gauntlet, if you will. I challenge you to a duel. The truth is, guys, starting to get on my nerves. You want to crown them? You crown them. But they are who we thought they were. We let them on the hot. It's hot out there. Let's. We all walk out there. Very, very, very hot. Open fire. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Gauntlet. I am one of your hosts, Eric Marsh, and with me, as always, are. Ryan Saunders and Andrew Stasiulis. The Gauntlet is a weekly double feature podcast in which one of the hosts selects a theme for the week and the other two hosts program movies in response to that theme. And we come on here and have a nice conversation. Sometimes not so nice. Sometimes... Just nice enough. Nice enough. Yeah. Sometimes just nice <laughs> enough. Yeah. And sometimes you know we're on topic, and sometimes we buck up against the topic. And it is uh, episode eighty-seven, riding the rails. And it was my turn this week to pick the theme, and I was inspired by last week when. I picked Wild Boys of the Road and had a really good time riding the rails with those scamps in the Great Depression. And I got thinking about trains, you know? And ever since the arrival of the train at La Ciotat Station in 1896, filmmakers and audiences have been transfixed and intoxicated by the kinetic movement of the locomotive. And it's just one of those things, you know, like cinema and trains, they, they, go, they go way back and they're, they're very good friends. And I've always loved a good train movie. So uh, that's what I asked the boys to bring me today. And uh, we've got uh, two very different films. One <laughs> uh, very exciting train movie and one uh, not so exciting. And uh, we'll have uh, you all answer for your sins tonight on uh, train night here on The Gauntlet. Without any uh, further ado, let's, uh, let's get down to it. Ryan, you had the earlier film why don't you tell us all about it? Gladly. Well, you know, it's been, uh, the past couple of weeks have been a little stressful. I've had a lot going on and, you know, I get preoccupied with things and sometimes it feels like the heavy stuff, you know, it's like, I, I like to throw a couple art house masterpieces, you know, in our direction into the court. And, and sometimes it's just not the mood I'm in, you know, sometimes if I, if I want to relax, if, if I want to feel better, sometimes my first thought is, oh, God, I would love my gauntlet boys to just 
bully a bunch of children from from 50 years ago. So when I was looking up train movies, I, you know, I mean, it's endless. There's so many to choose from. I had total option paralysis. But there was one <laughs> that, that I came across that I kind of thought, ah, this is something I might pick. This is something that, you know, would be itching at the back of my mind and I wouldn't be able to stop thinking about if I don't. And, you know, I don't want to reveal what Andy picked yet, but when I knew um, the the speed at which his train would be moving in the film, I thought, oh, this could be an interesting juxtaposition by having a, a, fi- a film where a train might be stopped and sort of <laughs> what that entails. In my digging, I came across a film from 1976 from the former Yugoslavia called Train in the Snow, directed by Mate Hrelja, and it's an adaptation of a children's novel of the same name. The novel and film are set in the in the early 30s it's really funny because the copy that we watched uh mentions that it was uh set in 1935 and then the subtitles say sometime in 1931 uh but i did a little bit of digging and um the book is set in 1931 so i'm not sure like exactly what's going on there but regardless it is the early 1930s in yugoslavia and the film tells the story of a group of school children at a countryside school who are assigned by their teacher to form a cooperative of sorts. And he essentially tasks them with electing a leader, someone who can be fair, um, but stern, and also guide them towards greatness. And it's essentially kind of planting the seeds for what, you know, a perfect little socialist communist utopia can can look like amidst a, a group of students. And there's essentially three main candidates who are our primary protagonists throughout the rest of the film. There is Draga, who is probably who I would have cast my vote for. She seems like a, a lovely girl that had um, just a, a good overall perspective about the dynamics of the group. There is Pero, who is a temperamental, antisocial, briberous, rotten sod, a louse, and a weasel, uh, as he's described by all of the other folks in the cooperative. And I think he earns those descriptors. He's, uh, he's a little shit all things considered. And then there's Lubin, who is the one who is eventually elected as the leader. So these students, they take a train ride to the city. They head to Zagreb. They're, they leave the Croatian countryside and they head to, to the big city, but there's, a, there's some trouble afoot. Their school teacher is, is quite sick and uh, he's really struggling throughout their little field trip. He's not able to work up a lot of energy and joy as they as they visit a lot of these places, and eventually he has to be hospitalized. And it's up to Lubin to lead this harmonious cooperative back home on the train. The children have to take the train home on their own. But on the way home, the train gets stuck in the snow. And then it's up to all of these children to work together uh, along with some infighting in order to overcome this uh, this bump in the road or this, this bump in the tracks, I guess you could call it. Mm-hmm. It's a very curious film. It is uh, full of what you would probably expect from a 70s Yugoslavian children's film. Uh, I don't know how deep we need to go into the ideas of what it reflects about the, the, the mythos of Yugoslavia, but I think that's all certainly in there. The, the students are led 
by a conductor that looks exactly like Joseph Stalin and who repeatedly just says the word Sapperlot over and over again as, a, as an exclamation. I eventually started referring to him as Joseph Sapperlot in the film, and eventually the students themselves uh, call him Mr. Sapperlot. Mm-hmm. There's some great songs. In particular, there is an anthem that I think I'll just cap this off with where... You know, the students and celebrating their cooperative and celebrating the spirit of Yugoslavia repeatedly say a hundred little voices when they join their forces sound stronger than just one singing the same song. Small sparks can cause a fire. Rivers are formed by little drops. So let's like birds form our flock and like sparrows sing our song. Small hands joined together can do more than a hammer. And uh, I think these are all words of wisdom that we can all live by. Um, yeah, it's a curio. I'm sure most of our listeners haven't seen it, and I'm sure most of them uh, will not uh, after, our <laughs> after our conversation today. But boy, oh boy, oh boy, I, I had a very pleasant time. I was laughing throughout. I enjoyed the, the 79 minutes or so that we, we spent uh, but yes, that is that is Train in the Snow from 1976. Thank you very much. Andy, why don't you tell us about the train that you brought? Um, you know, while I would agree with, uh, like, Ryan, um, this week we both were certainly um, spoiled for choice. There's so, so many great, great train movies that come to mind. However, I did not have any problems picking mine. I knew right away what I wanted to bring to the gauntlet. Um, you know, Marsh, when, when you describe the, the sort of fascination with uh, kinetics, perhaps, in this relationship between cinema and trains, when I think kinetic in terms of the cinematic, I uh, often think of Tony Scott, the director of the film Unstoppable from 2010. You know, a few weeks ago, maybe even longer, hard to tell these days, uh, I I brought a, a film by Tony's big brother to the table and you you both may recall that that uh, or our listeners might recall that that I was pretty hard on on Ridley and, and had some some choice words for what I what I think about him and his reputation and his legacy and uh, <laughs> I, I got to double down on that because I I feel that that often in terms of you know discussions of of great auteurs and directors poor Tony is often given sort of uh, second string status compared to Ridley. But I gotta say, as I've gotten older, uh, I've really, really come to see Tony, in my view, as as the, the superior all-around filmmaker. And and I'm sure we're gonna talk a lot about that today, his legacy in action cinema, in in motion pictures. But but yeah, I'm I'm I, I am in no way uh, uh, hesitant at all to offer this film as as an excellent train film and an excellent action film. For those who haven't seen Unstoppable, 
It is based on a true story, as a matter of fact. Uh, it involves a, a runaway train, a train which, through some 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 bumbling <laughs> some bumbling work by a couple of hapless railroad workers, uh, they they let a train get away from them in the yard. And what at first just seems like a small mistake, quickly. Uh, picks up speed and, and gets out of control very quickly as this train steadily increases its speed. And this train uh, is also uh, carrying several cars with a very, very dangerous, toxic substance. So uh, this train, which Rosario Dawson now describes as a missile the size of the Chrysler building, is out of control and it's putting uh, everyone in uh, the, the sort of small towns of, of southern Pennsylvania at risk. It's got to be stopped. But can it be stopped? Maybe. Maybe. If two men uh, have their way, it will be. Those men are Frank Barnes, played by uh, Tony Scott's muse, Denzel Washington. They had made five pictures together, ultimately. Uh, and Chris Pine as Will Colson, and they have this sort of, you know, uh, uh, old man, young man tension at first, and, and the question is, will they be able to overcome those difficulties to chase this train down, grab it by the ass, and bring it to a halt? Uh, really, it's a very simple film. I mean, it is just that. It is a, a, a disaster picture, an action picture. It is a 90-minute a thrill ride. It is uh, so simple, it's actually complex, right? It's beautiful. And it is, uh, sadly, also the final feature film that Tony Scott would direct before his untimely death by suicide. Um, I love this movie. I just, I, I really do, because aside from it being, I think, a very pure action film, uh, I, I also consider this film to be a great ode to workers, to the working person, whoever they may be. And in fact, if I get hyperbolic enough, and maybe that'll happen tonight, I also consider it to be uh, uh, just a, a beautiful anthem to labor in general, to working people of all shapes and sizes. Well, except for the bosses, and we'll get into that, of course. But yes, that is the film that I brought Unstoppable from 2010. Thank you very much. Well, what can I say? <laughs> uh, obviously, uh, I had I had seen Unstoppable uh, before more than once. I uh, I saw it opening weekend with a friend of the pod, Ted Harwood, uh. and uh, I remember we came out of that theater buzzing, you know, just electrified by. Tony Scott. And, you know, it's uh, it's interesting because I don't uh, necessarily have the greatest relationship with late Tony Scott, uh, but I do think several of, of these of his late action movies are uh, some of his best work, like Deja Vu uh, and Unstoppable, I think in particular represent to me the best of this sort of like abstract expressionist period or, or whatever you want to call it, you know? Mm -hmm. um, on the other hand, of course, I had not seen uh, Train in the Snow, and I was very skeptical uh, going in, you know, because uh, 
you know, I asked them to bring me trains. I want to see, I want to see the train move, you know? <laughs> and uh, there was not a ton of, of that in Train in the Snow. And, and while, you know, I'm going to be a little hard on you uh, this episode, Ryan, I, I do want to be clear. I enjoyed this film quite a bit. Uh, just not as a train film, you know? <laughs> sure. um, but, yeah, it, I mean, it certainly is on a train, you know, yes. uh, a lot of the time, uh, even though it's a, a set, you know? But um, whatever. <laughs> and it's about, a gr- it's about a group of students also taking ownership of a train. They, they write their name of their cooperative on the side of it. The train is, is associated yes. with their identity. And I will note, you know, Andy, you reminded me, I forgot to mention, mine you know adapted from a children's novel the children's novel based on a true story <laughs> so these yes! are some these are some real life train ripped incidents from the that, headlines yeah 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 so they have that in common that's awesome well to be fair i think they both show uh two very very true um, facets of trains in general uh on the one hand uh, in in the case of, of the film that I brought, you know, it's really hard to stop a moving train. It's not an easy thing to bring all that steel to a halt suddenly when you need to. And on the flip side, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to get them going as well. And certainly the old steam engines as well. I mean, it's, it's, it takes a lot of force and a lot of energy to, to even get it to, to, to just start rolling down the tracks. So in that sense, I think that they both do represent uh, truths about trains in general. I also think that both of the films treat the train as a metaphorical space in a certain sense, like this like psychological space where people have to make decisions, have to, you know, it's this place between stations. It's a between destinations in life. I feel like trains so often in films are an opportunity for whether it's communities coming together and trying to like, we are stuck on a train together. We have to solve our problems or vice versa. We've got people in a situation on a train. You're stuck on the train. The solution has to be made on the trains. I'm thinking 1517 to Paris. I'm thinking unstoppable, <laughs> right? Like there's no other alternative. The lady what... vanishes. Exactly. Where'd she go? <laughs> on the train. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, I mean, no, it, it's true. And I think I think Andy, you're 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 you've already nailed it, right? Like both of these films are about how people work together uh, in a variety of contexts, right? And specifically in Train in the Snow, it's like how the cooperative works and also how the workers on the train work and then how the students and the workers work together, right? And similarly, what is Tony Scott doing but giving us this, like, you know, hyper-mosaic of all these people working together? And some people are working against, yes, you mm-hmm. know, Kevin Dunn or whatever. Uh, but it is people working together, and that definitely, you know, brings these films together. And, Ryan, you're you're onto it as well with the, the train as, as a metaphor, right? Because... It's, these are films about people working together. They're not about trains, really, right? It's like, that's the heart of both films. Yeah. You know? Oh, 100%. I mean, I consider these both um, beautiful movies about work. I I, I do. And and I, yes, for the record, I, Ryan, look, I was, I was rolling in 
um, ready to hate, ready to hate. And, <laughs> and, and I, I, I can't, to be honest with you, because in, in spite of the fact that this is a movie that I, I wouldn't necessarily encourage people to just like run out and, and put on. It's a movie that I'm very glad that I have, mm -hmm. have watched. And, and maybe that's a very like kind of backhanded sort of approach to even just sort of discussing it. But like, yeah, I mean, like I, I was swept up in it's very, I mean, look, I'm a, I'm a, a dirtbag leftist at heart, you know, so I, I, I can't help but sometimes um, find myself just so charmed by these, you know, obvious, you know, bald-faced bits of, like, communist or socialist ideology yeah. uh, extravaganzas, you know, I, 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 I love it, you know, and I, I, I wish there was more of that in, in the world, but yeah, I think these are both like, to me, films that are about people getting things done and the organization that's required, the trust that's required, the, 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 the sort of realities of, of, being in a situation in which, you know, all you can do is uh, try to try to help or or hurt the situation, depending on your choices and your actions. And, you know, um, obviously, in the case of Train in the Snow, it's like those choices are are more at times. Yes. Um, almost political um, and not to say that there aren't politics or political decisions that pop up in unstoppable, but, but, you know, the, the case of train in the snow is more that, that it's, it's more about survival than it is necessarily about being in like immediate physical danger or people being in, in immediate physical danger. I mean, yes, I guess they could starve or freeze on that train, but it, a couple it more or less seems like... a couple like, sickos, too. You know? <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it more or less seems like, you know, really it's just sort of um, a, a mental battle at that point. And sure. yes, like un, Unstoppable is is about force and and velocity and physics and and at certain times calculations required to figure out if something is even possible uh there's a lot of measuring that's going on there there's a lot of near death moments uh that that are seconds away from from people so yeah they are the opposite ends of the spectrum in that sense one thing that i thought was kind of funny between that with like both of these films too was the difference in hustle uh amongst everyone when faced with these problems unstoppable is one of those fantastic types of narratives where there's a cataclysmic error at work and instead of freaking out, you know, Rosario Dawson is like, okay, I'm going to get shit done, mm -hmm. you know, like without thinking about the consequences of what, even if I solve this, we're fucked. Like we're going to get in trouble. Something's going to happen. Like this is a huge oversight from a team member, you know, but instead of dwelling on that, it is just all action. It's all plan of attack. It's all focus. It's all hustle. And I love in Train of the Snow how... <laughs> all those guys you know the, the guys like the conductor the the mechanics on the train they're you know they're taking it as it comes they think like maybe we could wait this out until morning i guess we can give it an effort of using the shovels to kind of get us out but like this might just take some time and they're you know they step back a little bit 
See, my my take on it as well, the more I was reflecting on it. Yeah. Um, and especially um through this conductor character that you've mentioned. And and by the way, I don't want to make this just like a whole history thing here, but but you know, um there's no way in hell in Tito's Yugoslavia they would have intended for a a positive character to look like Joseph Stalin because Tito I know but it's just like undeniable uh yeah Tito uh, and Stalin were not buddies at all sure. as a matter of fact but you know Slavic men with mustaches and dark hair I I could see it Ryan I guess they all look the same to you all us Slavs <laughs> look the same to you on a certain level but um but you know like the more I reflected on his character as this he's this this kind of benevolent fatherly figure you know it would probably be more appropriate to to refer to him as like a, a surrogate for Tito kind of overseeing sure. the people overseeing the project offering advice but not you know coming in with the the heavy hand and that's certainly how he would like that kind of character to be depicted. That's how he would like to be depicted, regardless of some of the intricacies of, of that. But but he was certainly a lot less um, despotic than a than a Joseph Stalin, as far as as uh, communist leaders uh, could go. Of course. Um, but the more I thought about him, and the more I thought about this situation that you're describing, the more I saw that kind of almost like leisurely pace. As a sort of almost, for no pun intended, but but an almost kind of like engineered crisis for the co-op, for the children. Because that dude is never panicking, you know? That dude is is seeing them at times like panic and and have have you know uh, crushing moments of of defeat or anguish and 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 you know all, all the the drama that transpires in that in the in those several cars. But he's always got a smirk. He's always got a mm -hmm. smile. He just kind of comes in and and like, oh well, how are you going to handle this now? Like he knows, like, hey, you know. Yeah, we'll get out of here eventually. <laughs> like one way or another, we we'll get out of here. We're fine. It's like true. it's not a big deal. But again, embracing the mission and and also embracing this whole situation as this sort of like beautiful experience for these young people to grow and to learn and and to sort of hover in the background in case things ever get too bad. And he does intervene here and there, but more or less. All the major shit is is gonna get worked out in one way or another. So you're saying this was like a false flag, but for them to do learning. Hell yeah! Why not? I mean, like honestly, like I I started to see it as yeah. this kind of like thing of being like, what better way for these young people to learn about unity, harmony, work? I mean, the lessons that that group comes away with through that situation uh, is worth worth anything that that teacher was trying to talk to them about in the classroom. Like, that was all the theory, you know? Here's the practice. Here's the, the material. The praxis. Yes, here it is, right here. And, and again, I'm not saying that he wasn't like, yeah, we need to get out of here, but I'm also kind of saying like, 
a part of me just started to see it as like, yeah, the lack of urgency on his part was almost like, hey, let's let let's see how they handle this. Let's see how they let's see what they come up with, you know? And he does kind of come in throughout it. I, I hope I'm not just getting too far ahead of ourselves, but like, you know, when the, the co-op gets to work and and you know, the chief is like, all right, we need to we need to get the food organized over here, right? Now you're our economist. Okay, we got our nurses station set up. Like he's watching them build this little this barracks, this base, you know, and, and I can't help but feel that he's just sort of like, look at how cute this is. Like, let's just let them, let them, let them play out, you know, let, yeah. let's, let's see how it goes. No, I agree. I feel like he is supportive of the project and he finds it to be a very curious thing and understands his role as an elder witnessing this and fostering the growth of this community. I mean, that's actually something that both of these films kind of have in common, this generational divide and this guidance where the youth in Unstoppable, Chris Pine, there's like a great deal of tension between him and Denzel because he's a younger worker that could be potentially seen as taking away the jobs from all the older railroad workers that are being sort of like forcibly retired out of the system, you know? And there's a lot of butting heads with that generational gap but the conductor in Train in the Snow does like witness something beautiful happening in front of him. And he is he's playing ball. And I think maybe because he knows like, yeah, I mean, we're going to this is all going to be fine. You know, like no one's in true danger. Yeah. You know, it occurred to me this time around, and I suppose this is obvious, but, you know, Unstoppable has the Hawks thing down, you know, and it's got like the group dynamic thing just like so nailed. Uh, and it, and it's got like the Michael Mann sort of professionalism angle as well. Of course they went to college together Mm -hmm. lest we forget, but really I was thinking about this kind of, yeah, this sort of like Hawksian group, right? The, the work it's like only angels have wings. Oh, here's the new flyer. This other guy died. You know, we got workers coming in and out and we're all gonna, you know, side eye each other a little little bit um and and it also too we should mention like unstoppable is also a a great recession film very explicitly that's part of like what ryan's referring to this precarity with jobs right you know we later find out that uh denzel's character has been given his 90 days after 28 years and it's again in these dark recession times and and that really resonated with me this time around but i want to get back to the hawks thing because i was I'm still laughing thinking about when Train in the Snow opens. It, it opens like with the train stuck in the snow, yeah. uh, and we do. You're not really sure what's going on, and the kids are all outside, and they like reconnect. You know, uh, the cars back together so they can have heat, and they're all like cheering, and they all go inside, and there's like turmoil going on that we don't really understand, and this kid. You know, he plops down on one of the benches and then like the kindly conductor comes in with a smoke, you know, and he like lights it with the lantern. And this kid is like, first of all, he's like, you know, talking to all these people. He's acting really serious. and, And Kyle was like... Why is this? Why is this kid acting all weird? Why is he acting like he's forty? Uh, and I was like cracking up because then he sits down, you know, as if he's having a smoke with the conductor, yeah. and he's like, "Let me tell you about how we got here." Yeah. And then the the film has a flashback structure, but like this kid is acting like an adult, and we're like, "Why is he? He's being weird." And then it tells the whole tale of the cooperative. And that's Lubin. He's the head of the cooperative. And that's why 
he's acting like a 40-year-old man because he has this like burden as the leader, a quote-unquote sort of de facto leader of this group. But it was just cracking me up, like just them going into like adult mode, you yeah. know, when they're like... Yeah. The chief economist, he's got, like, all the snacks on the train, like, perfectly organized. I mean, yeah, it's, like, this beautiful tribute and parody of, you know, like, here's this, like, mobile unit, you know? We can we can patch you up. We can feed you, you know? Like, nothing will stop us. Yeah. It's probably, like, the first evidence, too, of the conductor being totally on board for this whole production because Lubin is acting like an adult, and the conductor asks him, like, can I have a smoke? Like, he's asking his permission. And Lubin says, I'll allow it. Like, yeah. we'll make an exception here. It's like, yeah. You're the conductor, man. Yeah. But see, again, that's like the beauty of his character because he he is uh always playing along, you know? And again, mm-hmm. with that uh, that that smirk of of you know, if I treat them like a bunch of kids, like what is this gonna, you know, what what would be the point of that? You know, like he treats them and him uh, like an equal, you know, like a colleague, like like you know, we're all in this together, and like it's it's, I mean, it's so. It's so sweet. I, 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 I can't help but get caught up in it. Because, yes, I had the, the same reaction of, of being like, man, look at this kid. What the hell is going on here? But, <laughs> but again, as the film unfolds, you know, I really started to, to kind of understand all of it. And he will pop up here and there as this sort of, yeah, this like guiding force who is never forcing anyone, you know, just sort of... Uh, almost uh, being a more like Socratic presence, if anything, of, of asking questions often after someone's victory or defeat, you know, whether it's, it's Luban and, and his, uh, his great, um, you know, desire to, to be a good leader or, or also when the conductor will, will talk to the antagonist Pero, you know, he never just like smacks that kid up, uh, up against his head. You know, he'll often <laughs> ask him a question of being like, well, now you're here. What do you think about that? Right? Like what brought you to this situation? And do you like being in this situation? Because he's, he's letting everyone choose their path forward. You know, it's beautiful. Hajde ljubene, protegni se i ti. San će ti dobro doći. Najprije da ostali polegnu. Može li se pripaliti? Nije baš po propisu, ali prozračit ćemo. And on the flip side, in Unstoppable, we are treated to, uh, let's say, a more American style of group dynamics and power dynamics, right? Because, you know, it similarly is about all these people who have to come together and spring into action and, and work together. However, there's a hierarchy, right? Oh, yeah. And there are uh, outside interests, you know, outside of the interest of saving lives, right? Uh, one of the things that I that really struck me this time is how quick, uh, you know, it gets to the scenes of like, it's like, all right, we got a runaway train. It's like, boardroom these guys are like what about the insurance what about you know just immediately goes (laughs) to the corporate board and like how are they going to spin it how are they going to stop it how are they going to save the most money not the most people right and we're immediately like given that world you know that world when you go from like a shot of a runaway train 
to a shot of, you know, Frank Barnes and, and uh, Will Coulson, Denzel and, and, and Chris Pine in another locomotive on the rails, sort of reflecting on the situation, to, to Rosario Dawson in, in, the, in the command center with the maps of all the lines. And then you cut to, yes, this boardroom. Now we got a guy in a suit and all these other assholes talking about the bottom line. And then you cut even further to some other white guy picking up a phone call on a golf course, yep. right? Like that's the so hierarchy funny. right there. I mean, that is America. That's the system. That's capitalism mm -hmm. right there, laid bare. Environmental liability, track damage, car and locomotive loss. We're looking at a projected cost easily over $100 million. And the resulting stock devaluation? Our projections indicate it could be in the 30 to 40% range. Oh. I say we go with Mr. Galvin's option. Calling into the strategic committee while like hitting it on the green, you know, yeah. so fucking funny. It's like the Mr. Show sketch, change for a dollar, right? <laughs> Where it just keeps like bumping up the line to, yes, eventually like the president of the golf course or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Tell them no. <laughs> yeah. right? Exactly, right? So we, we, yeah, we certainly don't have uh, that, you know, uh, 1970s communist cooperation going on in this film. It's uh, certainly much more cutthroat than that. And, and yeah, I mean, like Rosario Dawson as sort of like the, the center of the film, right? Sort of like anchored in the HQ with the maps. Like, you know, she's always coming up with great ideas and just getting shit on, you know? And like, that's the reality of of working there and, and like in this, this place, you know, ruled by, you know, yeah, money, not uh, anything else. Yeah, I mean, Tony Scott, lifelong filmmaker, uh, I, I think, uh, can't help but sort of make, um, a lot of his movies uh, about the making of movies, right? And about the, the, the hierarchy of the cinematic experience, the hierarchy of making movies. And I think he's fascinated by those kinds of structures and those kinds of characters and the tension between, you know, the crew, uh, the director and the producers and maybe the studio executives and the, the long history he had of of going through those kinds of battles and those those kinds of of, um, you know, the kinds of negotiations required and, and and the sometimes disconnect between the people who are you know, actually they have their hands on the work and the people who are miles and miles away making broad sweeping decisions about the work that's being made. And it's, it's interesting because, you know, also at this point in his career, uh, a few years earlier, he had done his remake of the taking of Pelham one, two, three, which has a very similar structure and dynamic and hierarchy again of of you know okay here's some people trapped in a in a dangerous situation and here's the guy that's helping them out and then here's you know Walter Matthau in the original right as, as the sort of Rosario Dawson character and then in his version the his uh, Tony Scott's version Denzel is in the Rosario Dawson role of of trying to sort of link up all these sort of moving parts while having these people, whether it's the mayor or, yes, the, the, the president of CSX Railroad breathing down his neck, you know? So, so I think, honestly, like, for him, he's very conscious of that dynamic and he handles it, uh, he handles it, like, as, as someone who has lived through it quite a lot and gone through his own battles. 
Yeah, it definitely sort of came up, you know, or occurred to me like I was reading. There's like an oral history of of Unstoppable that someone did a couple years ago with, you know, interviews with a lot of the people who worked on it. And, and they talked about how, you know, on that film, Tony Scott was like very involved very there yeah. you know waking up at two every day drawing the storyboards meeting with the the entire crew like hands on everything you know and it was like a passion project for him he had the workers from the ohio train incident like on set a bunch of times to uh just consult and be there and be a part of the process so he's got the real people there he brought the screenwriter on set the screenwriter was on set the whole time like you know, wow. real sort of like family vibe. Yeah. And he was very involved. And I think, again, it shows uh, as a sort of like, you know, metaphor for for him, you know. And he, I mean, it just makes me also think like how many of his movies like, yeah, have the command center. You yeah. know, it's like the editing bay, like Denzel in, in Deja Vu. Oh, you yeah. You know, it's like that's Tony Scott's life. He's looking at 17 takes. I mean, that's what that's why, honestly, like in my intro, you know, over the years, I've just gotten so much more into his design of films uh way more so than ridley who sometimes i wonder like what is his goddamn design does he have a design you know uh i i really question that because again like compare this kind of a like you know adventure disaster you know people in a tough situation dealing with a crisis to fucking white squall like what a snooze fest white squall was yeah, and it's like no you got all the drama right there based on a true story ripped from the headlines like it's all there look how ridley handled it and look how fucking tony handled it yeah. right the like tony gets the right juice, to dude. it yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he gets right fucking to it you know he doesn't spend all this time you know making us quote care about these people like we we will, yeah. we will care about the action. We will care about the situation. Like, let's get to it, yeah. you know? And then we'll care about the people as a result of their actions. Yes, I mean, and, and how they handle things. And we will, we will, we as, as, as film goers, as film audiences, as, as just humans, we, like Michael Mann gets it, you know, we appreciate excellence. We appreciate hard workers. We appreciate pros, whatever their, their job, you know? And the film is is so close to that purity. It's like a remarkable piece in that simplicity of just caring about them because of what they do. I think like the only misfire that was driving me crazy was whenever it was detouring into the fact that Chris Pine's wife had a restraining order against him. I wanted to <laughs> yeah, the movie. The movie is like so focused and just so propulsive. And then like every time that comes up, I'm just like fast forward, blah blah blah, shut up. Like oh my god, enough of this. Yeah. And it's the thing is he he has it present throughout of what the alternative could have been denzel's backstory his daughters work at hooters it, so much is communicated right there it's fine i, yeah. I care about denzel everything yeah. adds up it's great characterization it's nice when we cut to hooters and they're watching the news and they're you know because the news is just on at hooters of course and they're watching the train everyone's watching it but anytime it goes to chris pine's wife and he's like i didn't hit her i'm like okay chris pine hit his wife like that's what this character <laughs> is yeah. i don't need to like hear about this i am so sick of hearing about who this guy might be Denzel was perfectly characterized. I got it. You know, though, to that point, I, I would say that uh, almost on a certain level, the, the film itself agrees with you. Because sure. if you notice, like, in in all those moments where Chris 
Pine is suddenly like sneaking off to, to make the phone call and find out about the hearing, you know, what the attorney said, what the judge say, God dang it, you know, yeah. like, oh boy, <laughs> like Denzel is pissed off and he's just like, get off the fucking phone. You're at work. Like, come on. Like we are, we are at work and, and we are focusing on work. Like he's so present in the job and in this day and, and separating today problems from tomorrow problems, you know, like, Hey, we're Mm -hmm. here. Let's do this job. But also proves that he's human by sneaking a call to his daughter later when no one's looking. Very true. Very true. Well, but see, that's a very practical moment though, because he is so present and he understands the clear and present danger that he knows there might not be a tomorrow. And that's only then when it's disrupted and he makes the call and takes a moment to pause from the labor. And it is, you know, to to his defense as well, uh, for what it is, an incredibly brief call. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's, yeah. he's like <laughs> honestly too brief. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's he doesn't talk brief. to the second daughter who's like <laughs> there. <laughs> Both daughters are working the same shift at Hooters, and he only's like, "Tell your sister I love her too." And yeah, like you wait five more seconds, I could go get her. She, she's yeah. just, she's just finishing up at a table. <laughs> Nicole, Nicole, listen, don't hang up. Don't hang up. Dad, I'm busy, okay? Okay, I understand. I just... Dad. I just wanted to tell you that I love you. Okay, fine. Dad, what's wrong? Nothing, nothing. I just... Dad, what's wrong? Just tell your sister I love you both, okay? I gotta go. But here's the thing. To your point, yeah, obviously, you know, we don't need like the the dad's rights subplot or whatever. Divorce guy energy. Yeah. Which, you know, if whatever. But like it really does limit that stuff. That is like Yeah. It is really such a small part of the movie. It almost seems incidental other than some of the cross cutting. But yeah, I mean, look, he he saves the day and wins his wife back. Yeah. I mean, it's like the cheesiest Hollywood bullshit ever. But again, it's like, yeah, stop, get off the phone. Do something good and your wife will love you, you know? Yeah. Like get a grip. Yeah. Just just focus on the task at hand. Like you'll deal with that later and it'll be what it is. I mean, like again, to me, this is such a it's such a like a, an amazing movie about like work and about process. And and you know, Marsh, it's like um I, I kept thinking, like, because you know, we've been talking a lot because you're you're teaching the heist class and you know, the fascination with with so many heist movies just being about process oh, and yeah. people people focusing on the job and what they gotta do and how they're gonna do it. And like this has that same kind of 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 uh construction yeah. of like here we are here's the process here's the job here's what we have to do like we've got to we've got to make this thing work and we will need all of these people to chip in uh with their specialty in one way or another yeah 100% i mean it's a it's an adventure process narrative which is like where the heist film structure comes from right the the men on the mission the group adventure uh, that's what this film is i mean it's a it's a throwback in one sense right it's you know the oldest movie hollywood makes you know a group of people doing something yeah. you know like that's been going on for a long time but again, what's so fascinating about this film is then it's, you know, on top of that, it is the the Tony Scott late style. And we should, I think, talk about that a little bit uh, <laughs> in terms of, you know, maybe maybe anyone listening hasn't seen this film or his later films. I'm sure some people certainly are very familiar. But uh, the Tony Scott late style is, yeah, you know, he's shooting 
multiple cameras in every setup. And, and a lot of the time, yeah, they're complicated setups. You know, I was thinking to when we were talking about, you know, on previous episodes, having to reset a shot and being like, God, that must have taken an hour. Imagine the resets on this movie. I mean, we're talking about you got to get a train, a helicopter, a truck, 300 extras, like back into a spot. Yeah. I mean, these resets took hours, right? And so, of course, he's shooting three, four, five, six, 15 cameras, you know, during some scenes. Uh, and yet it ends up being this just like perfectly woven tapestry yeah. of, I mean, it is an assault, you know, there's cuts every second, every two seconds. And those cameras are often like spiraling around rooms. And then there's also this like <laughs> micro zoom that occurs every now and then that feels as if the cameraman is just coughing. That's like the regularity at which like yeah, suddenly tamped just... down from previous efforts. Definitely. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. Like Domino and Man on yeah. Fire. And you know. you're also you're also like you know intercutting constantly like the the mediation of this entire adventure, right? So we have all the the news cameras and the news footage as well. Like we have every goddamn TV station around also chiming in and giving us this sort of you know fox news chorus as well that's sort yeah. of hovering over the entire thing i mean really it's like it's like surveillance mise-en-scene it's like i i read in a in an interview tony scott gave he said that in the the like the set where rosario dawson is uh he had so many cameras shooting that he had you covered completely no matter what you did in that room <laughs> they had you <laughs> that's awesome. And it's like, what, dude? Like, what kind of setup is that? You know, that's unprecedented. But, like, they're shooting those scenes, 200 millimeter long lens through, like, two, three panes of glass as well. And that's, like, also why it looks crazy. Because uh, those cameras are super far away from from that actual command center. Yeah. So, like, just, and to to what? his Honestly, to his credit, I mean, you know, to, to his credit, like... I think that 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 again is is very much like by design because right he's he's putting us in crisis mode and and people are often only able to react to what's happening you know on the fly this this is almost sort of happening in real time like it is that uh, that you know microcosmic uh, throughout this journey but but like. That's it, you know, when we're suddenly in a room with a bunch of people who are all chiming in and, and, and throwing their two cents in and arguing and, and, and having conflicts about, you know, do we derail it or do we try to slow it down? Like, let's get a helicopter and swing a guy down on top. I mean, like, all this stuff is happening. And so, you know, all you can do is just try to, like, hold on by your fingernails and not lose your goddamn mind in the middle of it all. And again, that's where the heroes rise. The heroes are the ones who are able to to surf through all of that, like, mediated maelstrom that he's created. I mean, it's it's it really is like a dizzying effect. And, and I think, again, for, like, what this thing is, which is, again, a 98-minute roller coaster ride, a montage of attractions, like... That's that's exactly what this thing needs to be, should be. It's the only way this thing should be. At high above central Pennsylvania, this train got away. Emergency responders want to halt all activity near the line and possibly evacuate all homes within a mile radius of the tracks. There's thousands of gallons of fuel on board, which is highly flammable, but we're still awaiting word on that. And that's one of the radical formal differences 
between these two films because Unstoppable is unstoppable. Even with the, the interjections <laughs> of of Chris Pine's um, uh, Dad's Rights subplot, it is a movie that is all forward motion. It's all present tense, and you can't let go. While we have a stopped train in Train in the Snow, and its design is primarily past tense for the first half of the film until it catches up with the present because the film's design is how did we get this train stopped you know what was our path here and we haven't really touched on this but yeah the first chunk of this movie is this wild idyllic look at the countryside of yugoslavia and this community and the school and the kinds of things that they get all, they all get up to we get a sense yeah, of a like, child's wedding yeah a full on child's <laughs> wedding like let, let's play wedding that's the thing when i had first pulled up this movie uh, and i was like i don't know is this what i should pick is this what i want to put in front of everybody when i was scrolling through and came across the chi- the children's wedding that was one of the 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 things that sealed the deal for me of course beyond some of some of the other stuff but yeah it is a uh, there's this whole extended sequence of the film where they decide let's play wedding and they dress up in this traditional garb many of the children have like giant fake mustaches so they could look like the older slavs in in their village but i feel like i missed something very important when we get to that wedding because i suddenly was like why is this goddamn wedding happening? I didn't I feel like I missed whatever was like the explanation for like why they these children suddenly felt that they needed this this pageant. They needed this bit of of dress up. So maybe you can help me out here. What the fuck did I miss? I could exp- I think it can be explained very simply. Uh, you know, it, it cuts to the kids outside, outside of the school, you know, perhaps recess, perhaps after school. And they're all this they're all just sitting around. And then at a certain point, they're like, what should we do? And the boys go, uh, let's play war. And then the girls go, let's play wedding. <laughs> and then and then the guys go, OK. And then they just like agree, <laughs> and then and then they go like full on montage of them all getting dressed and prepped, and it's just like so elaborate. I, uh-huh. I understand the confusion because they arrive there very quickly. Yeah, it's just like let's play war, let's play wedding, and then they just start going into yeah. the wedding. It well, it was wild how serious the stakes felt for this play at marriage because when they first ask Lubin to be the groom, his immediate reaction is no, no. My father says, I need to go to the army before I can be married off. And he starts like <laughs> sprinting away and they go and chase him down to, to well, marry. That was all, wasn't that all part of his grand design to spook everyone later? Yeah, though? It, it yeah. is. Yeah, because that, that ends up being what happens because Pero is the one that's selected to be the groom. So Lubin decides to get a bunch of skulls of like cows and then put them on sticks that he then has peer out of the out of the reeds or the bushes and he- well specifically that area in which he was because uh, this is yeah this is where i was also i wrote down another very important note because <laughs> like so the wedding is going on and then yes yeah, suddenly he's 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 sticking these skulls out of the the swampy reed area and, and scaring everybody and one of the kids yells like the skulls they're coming from the carcass pit and I, oh, was like, yeah. I was like that area is called the carcass pit like what the hell's going on yeah, around they, here? they disrupt the 
entire wedding just by like you know showing these skulls to everyone. I, was, I, just I, just, like, I kept thinking of Coffin Joe. I was like, this is some Coffin yeah. Joe shit, superstitious right here. peasant <laughs> shit, dude. Yeah. You know? yeah. So he's goofing around in the carcass pit with some skulls. You know, like he's just he's trolling everybody. Yeah, a hundred percent, man. I mean, one thing that you Coffin know, Coffin Yosip. <laughs> <laughs> one thing that we should mention. That is sort of built into this movie and its, you know, ideological perspective is that uh, as, you know, Lubin recalls the story of of how they got there, right? He's like, well, once upon a time, there were three friends, you know, right. me, Draga, and Pero. Yeah. But Pero is the son of a, of a rich man, right? right? And that's yes. sort of like crucial to his behavior. Yes. Uh, because he is this, this rich, spoiled, materialistic brat. Yes. And all these other kids are peasants, right? Right. And when they have the initial election in the school, yeah, it's like uh, a class war, right? So in the schoolhouse for the chief position, you know, like uh, Draga and Luban, who are who are you know two of the candidates alongside Pero, they're going around and they're they're campaigning in their own kind of way. But Pero's campaign immediately makes it clear, like his his role and Capital's role in the political system, which is that he's going around trying to by votes and in an even mm-hmm. more like manipulative twisted way at a certain point one of the students is like you can't just like pay me off to vote for you with a chocolate bar and he's like i'm not paying for you to vote for me i'm just paying for you not to vote for luban i don't care who you vote for just don't vote for him right yes he is the the capitalist pig of the film and of the schoolyard and of the co-op there's a wonderful moment where he sort of like force feeds this kid a lolly in his like a bullying election campaign just yeah. like shoving it in his mouth oh yeah dude i also love there's just like a shot at a certain point of i mean first of all i mean we're gonna probably get in this i wrote down a bunch of these moments but like Yes, this is a movie made in like, you know, Tito's communist Yugoslavia. And I I kept just saying to myself, like, they studied their Eisenstein, like, for sure. They studied their Soviet montage. Like, there's just so many of these, like, amazing, like, dynamic cuts. Uh, You know, one plus two equals three. It's just so amazing. And, like, again, during the electioneering, like, there's all this hustle and bustle going on. And then there's just a cut to, like, a table. We're underneath the table, and we see, like, a child's hand slide over, and he's just holding three marbles, and he just dumps the marbles into some other child's hand, and, like, the exchange was made under the table, and it was just three (laughs) marbles, you know? And I was like, I just love that shit. Dude, there's know? a there's a ton of intercutting or sort of like Eisensteinian shit going on with all the animals as well. Oh yeah, especially oh, yeah. in the rural area. Yeah, where during like the fight, like they're suddenly cutting like you know a, a like a duck and a chicken fighting. Yes. Like, dude. And that of course become became clear to me when they sing the song and there's like the bird, you know, the flock, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there's that going on with the cutting where they're like cutting to the birds, cutting to the kids, cutting to the birds, cutting to the kids. Oh yeah, and just like making this comparison, the flock. Etc. Hammering on this metaphor it's, in that that Soviet style. Yeah, and I think that's when like the film really, like I really did fall in love with the movie because, again, I I I, I like you both as well. You know, I'm 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 a myself student of the Soviet school. I love that shit. I love that dynamic construction. And this movie 
has so many of those amazing uh, uh, moments of just like, you know, linking two things in two separate spaces together. And of course, it now gives us the ultimate ideological picture, the mental image. Like, it's just, it's it's beautiful. Like, even again, like, later on, when they are like falling out on the train and they're brawling on the train, something like all the kids are, are fighting on the train, it just suddenly like one cut over to like, Draga and she's just leaning against the side of the train and there's just like a tear coming down her cheek and then we cut back to the chaos of the big fight you know in a mm-hmm. big wide shot you know like man that is just yes it is just dynamism 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 even in like some hokey ass Yugoslavian like kids movie <laughs> right? you know I mean it's, it's it is credible there's a reason that this movie has lived on in the imagination of of the people of the former Yugoslavia and as we talked about a little bit this film does live on in the memory especially in Croatia if you if you pull up the clips of this film on YouTube and the way that people speak of this just triggering so many flashbacks to their youth this film was internalized by the children who watched it they still to this day learn that song in school that's a song that is taught to like kindergartners um, about working together about forming a cooperative and how all of us can work together to build better things and it's so funny that you mentioned that Pero is like this as someone says later in the film a rich turd um, because <laughs> <laughs> he obviously does not win the election but it is very funny that when they're all talking about chivalrous acts the, the teacher asks them to speak about just good deeds that they've done paros yeah, praise your homies yeah. <laughs> exactly yeah like how can we all like uplift each other paros like well i did you know i went to the store and i picked up some cigarettes for my father i did like a little <laughs> errand you know and then Pero goes and votes for himself they which you know a little crude of the cooperative to call him out and the teacher does suppress that but they do say like oh look at f- fucking Pero voted for himself he's the only one that writes in all lowercase letters and then you know he's of course totally ashamed because the key is well in the again like oh you know overarching kind of project here is that yes as we pointed out this is a period film so this takes place you know well prior to communist yugoslavia and so Mm -hmm. this is sort of like uh an educational film in, in many respects as well and, and an educational film for the children of saying like look what it used to be like look what it used to be like it was it was chaos and you had these parasites like Pero just screwing everything up right taking all of our unity and our harmony and constantly dividing dividing all of us and dividing us in insidious dirty filthy monetary ways yeah he's he's one of the biggest rats for me in the history of cinema i've i have over the years collected a list and like my number one rat in the history of cinema is um is cooper from night of the living dead uh you know the the white guy who doesn't want to work you know the racist piece of shit in Mm -hmm. in night of the living dead but pero is has made my top five he's now he's cracked uncle andy's list of the biggest rats in the history of cinema well it's funny too i was thinking about how thinking about tony scott thinking about ridley scott thinking about white squall how it is they they do make a point you know thinking about this predating uh when the film is set 
predating the communist era in, in Yugoslavia, they do mention, you know, the old Slav saying is all for one, one for all, right? And it does kind of remind me a little but bit isn't of it uh, three musketeers. Three musketeers? <laughs> yeah, I mean, yes, yeah. But, they, but that's what they refer to it in the film. They say an old Slavic saying. <laughs> but it, of course, reminded me of the when we go one, we go all, you know, the, the anthem of White Squall and QAnon. A little bit of yeah. a yeah. weird cosmic link there. Yeah, <laughs> I think uh, the the Zagreb sort of like tour sequence was really great. Where they go know? to the big city. Yeah, they yeah, go to the big nice. city. They visit, you know, this magazine. And we also get a song and sort of like a, another kind of like Soviet montage of like, look at how a printing press works, which is like amazing, of course. But I was really struck by, you know, the first thing they do is take the, the funicular, the tram, which looks just like Angel's Flight in yeah. L.A. Yeah. And they're like riding the, that thing very cool looking you know i was really into that but yeah we get a good you know a good sense of the city we get kids getting lost you know typical sort of like hijinks i suppose you would uh expect from uh from that clash yeah. you know well i would say one thing i really wasn't expecting though is so yeah there is a clashing between uh, the school children that are on that have headed to Zagreb, and then the the local children of Zagreb, the the city toughs. One thing I wasn't expecting was the the formal flourish of in a moment of crisis, in a moment when they potentially have to take some action, that Lubin directly addresses the children in the audience that would have been watching this film in 1976, and he says, you know. What do you think I should do right now? And he's like, I have to set an example. You know, I think it happens twice in the film, a direct yeah. address. Yeah, there's a couple. This is, a, I mean, in every way, shape, or form, it's a, it's an educational film. I mean, it's it's yes, it's adventure and it's 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 comedy for for kids and it's it's a musical. It's got all this stuff, but but like the again, the the, the project here is this is a this is a teaching, uh, this is a teaching tool. This mm -hmm. this film and that kind of interaction is is like startling, but it, it, I, I felt it like in that moment of, of again, just being like, imagining myself in a packed theater, you know, filled with other young people in 1976 or whatever. And it's like, when he said that, when he looked at the camera, I, in my skull, like I heard the echoes of children's voices. Yep, like I, I really did, you know? And I, I was like, man, what an amazing what an amazing thing, you know, really what an amazing moment to have. And again, that, that, that sense of togetherness, that sense of together, togetherness that is now like, you know, even like transcending the boundaries of, of the, the fictional film world itself of, of saying like, you are in this theater, you are here with us. We are all taking part in this project and this is just a movie. And now you've got to carry these lessons with you outside this theater make these kinds of decisions we will all be called upon right we are all letters which form words which form sentences which then become songs songs that ultimately are best sung by hundreds of voices in unison together i mean it's 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 yeah it's i was like feeling it dude i really was like i was like you know ready to pick up the 
the old like you know <laughs> the socialist Yugoslav and Republic flag and start waving it and be like that's Sterling Hayden knew it Sterling Hayden saw it you know he was a part of the project in his own way he got it man you know when I uh, watched this movie and was thinking about how both of you were going to react to it. I had like a lot of different ideas. You know, every now and then I pick something, I get bullied a little bit on the pod. I, I take the punches and I will say, you know, watching, I'm like, oh, I bet they're actually going to like this. But I will, I will say, I did not think that I was going to arrive here today and I was going to hear you, Andy, talking about like, I felt like I was in that Yugoslavian classroom and felt the solidarity amongst the students. It's very nice to hear because I, I also think those moments hit much harder than I was expecting. So I'm glad that it, something like this reached, reached you. Well, come on. We've, we've talked about it on the pod before, you know. I, I think I've mentioned to the listeners that I was a <clears throat> that I was a strange kid. I mean, I still am. But, like, you're, <laughs> you're looking at the guy that was, like, 12 years old, and he, he asked his dad to drive him to the Communist Party of the right. USA, you know, like their <laughs> rally in Chicago, you know. And, of course, my dad did drive me to the rally. But, like, I mean, I, I know the, the genesis. I, I had read Animal Farm, and then I read 1984, and I was like, George Orwell, interesting. What other books did he read? And, like, in middle school, I read Homage to Catalonia and discovered Marxism, the Spanish Civil War, and communism, and all these things. And then my 12-year-old brain, you know, which was still forming, even even trying to stumble through a basic understanding of, of its principles, I was like... This makes the most sense. <laughs> like, you know, this to a 12-year-old, like, this is it. This is great. You know? So, like, yeah, in a certain respect, I was like, I was taken back to the idea of being 12 and first coming across sure. these, these, of course, very romantic notions of yes, harmony, unity, all of us pulling together, sharing our food, sharing our resources, and 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 pulling in the same direction. And and yeah, in, in certain respects, it was like, yeah, I was. I was that 12 year old again being like, dad, drive me down to this rally or whatever. You know, I got to join up. I got to join the cause. Unfortunately, there were no communist cooperatives in DuPage County in the 1990s. So uh, we were we were out on our own, you know, out yeah. in the cold. And my dad was a young Republican. He voted for Nixon when he was 18. So there was no chance he was going to mm. drive me. <laughs> Not a chance, you know, but again like I, I i would say like i i thought this was such a great double feature because for me again like i love unstoppable because obviously we've we've been discussing like just its construction and and what a thrill ride it, it is and again in a very eisensteinian way again the the roller coaster the montage of attractions like all those things the the dynamism present in every single moment propelling us along but like to me, this is also again like a testament to workers and a testament to to laborers, and and I couldn't help also, but but f like look at recent you know news involving railroad workers in America, and and seeing this film is sort of an anthem to them, and a film in. 2010 that is already speaking to a lot of the issues that currently they're they're facing in their their attempt at a, at a railroad strike it's like this movie's already showing you like the degradation of the railway system and 
corporate uh, decisions that are coming in and 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 getting people fucking killed, you know, like literally getting people killed out there. And and for for what, you know, so some guy can fucking have his golf game uh, go uninterrupted. Essentially. There's going to be a stock devaluation, you know, yeah. I love that shit. Dude. Oh, yeah. I mean. Uh, I was just thinking, like, on a very basic level, this is one of those, like, jargon movies where you're just, like, coasting on people, just, like, saying a bunch of shit about trains you don't really understand. Oh, and hell you're yeah. just like. Uh, it's about slowing 777 once you've tied on. I, I know conventional wisdom says to just gun it in the opposite direction, but you'll have a better shot alternating full throttle with dynamic braking. Yeah, but we can't afford to lose counter thrust. Well, what you'll lose in counter-thrust, you'll compensate for in tractive force. Are you sure about that? Oh, this fucking rips. Yeah. Like, I'm, I was wondering about that as well. Dude, you like, know? Uh, there, there's so many, like, side characters that, that kind of come in that, like, again, like, contribute to this, like, you know... All these hands pulling together, all these voices, and like like Kevin Corrigan as the yeah. the, the federal like safety supervisor, like he specifically like having all the jargon, but like just his whole performance is so amazing, dude. Man. And he's there because he's supposed to talk to the children's field trip. Yeah. So there oh is God. another connection, obviously, yeah. because we do see at the beginning, it's like there's a field trip on the line, the same line as the runaway train. Yeah. And that's part of like the parallel editing in like the first half of the movie is like, the train full of children. Yeah. I mean, it's like, are they going to get creamed? Like, <laughs> yeah. That was nuts because I watched these films literally back to back. So oh, I had yeah. finished train in the snow, the train, you know, spoiler, uh, makes it through the snow drift and kept going. And then it was as if that train just kept moving into unstoppable. And I, I am sure you all thought the same thing. I see this group of children. They're the first thing that nearly has a collision with the train. And I'm thinking, Oh my God, <laughs> the unstoppable <laughs> train is going to obliterate the harmony cooperative like they are they're all toast yeah <laughs> they're going to be splattered all over like yep. the pennsylvania yeah. countryside the dude. dream yeah. is dead <laughs> yeah fortunately crisis averted but you're right i mean corrigan's presence is just a great like light comedic touch and he's also this very like soft-spoken yeah and he's like this railroad uh, neurotic who like knows everything yeah. about the railroad this is his dream job you know and he knows everything and he's got all the calculations in his head and he's he's got he knows exactly which trains are, are on that line i mean yeah he's awesome thinking dude. about that man driving the train and he's like getting the news that like there's a there's a loose train on your tracks headed your way and he's like i got 150 kids on this train and he's panicking and they're trying to give him instructions and he can't hear them because the children are presumably this is the reason the children are so loud behind yeah. him that it's like drowning out the noise and i uh maybe i'll just do it for our listeners i want to create a version where as he's trying he's like what what are you saying that when it they're cuts back the to the kids song. they're singing the song yeah. <laughs> Yeah, dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I had that same vision, dude. Yeah. yeah. We'll get to work on that right oh, away. Yeah. yeah, but you got you got like him in there and like again, like he's he's sort of very again, like in a dynamic way. Like he's not a loud guy. He's not like a ballsy guy, but he starts contributing in his own way, you know? Like he's a sort of like counterpoint to so many of the other energies in that room. Like Rosario Dawson is like a a a take charge badass. 
you know, grab it by the, the, the short curlies and just, just, just go at it, you know, but he is just sort of like kind of just looming over going like, well, I, you know, the calculations say maybe you shouldn't do. And then the other guy I fucking love, I'm sure you guys know who my other like all time favorite character in this movie is, which is cowboy welder. Yeah. The cowboy welder, Ned, (laughs) dude. Oh God, dude. Just like a, just like an outlaw country Western song brought to life. Just suddenly (laughs) jumping in his pickup truck and just going full throttle to help to solve this problem in whatever way he can, which isn't much, but again, becomes pivotal when he has the opportunity. He's just there to work and to help solve this crisis. He's trying the whole time. It's just like, you know, he has bad luck or things are going a different way and he's just out there grinding until, yeah, that moment when uh, when they need him. Uh, And it's also like those moments with him too that really most remind me of speed uh, in the best way. You know, this truck barreling alongside the train and like the attempt transfer of people from car to moving train like I mean that shit's obviously thrilling and I do want to also mention you know one of the other big like set pieces which really cracks me up is when they try to lower in the marine oh my god (laughs) this is like the best fucking shit ever and so funny to me you know like so they lower in you know and it's like we're watching it on the tv so we get like we just witnessed awvr employee ryan scott boarding one of the rescue helicopters he is a 22-year-old Marine vet who has just returned from Afghanistan. You know, it's like fucking sports coverage. Yeah. You know, it's like, here's so-and-so. He <laughs> served two tours of duty in Afghanistan, you know? <laughs> and now they're going to lower this guy down, you know, from a helicopter onto the train. Uh, and they just totally fuck it up. And it's so fucking funny and harrowing and, and scary yeah. and all that. But it's also just like the whole spectacle, like the Marine thing, you know? And it's also like satisfying the question of an audience which is like why don't you just fucking like plop someone down in a helicopter and take command of the train and it's like well it's actually a shitty idea and it's kevin dunn's idea it's it's the corporate idea yeah and it's fucking it's way harder than you think it is to do that exactly that's why i liked this movie so much because that was me i'm sitting here watching this and this whole time as it's spiraling out of control there's all these chemicals i'm just like what is the issue here where is james bond lower this man down with a helicopter on a wire how hard could it be? He's got to grab onto the railing. He can get into the fucking cockpit of this train, right? Yeah. And then nope. they literally do it, and they just mock me for even considering it. It's yeah. so yeah. fucking funny. The moment that guy, he gets on top of the train, and they try to slow it because Judd is in, like, another car, and he's hitting the brakes in front of that train, and they get it just slow enough, but there's a bump, and then the maroon falls back crashes through the window on like a a car that was behind him he's completely knocked out and it cuts (laughs) to the command center and the guy just goes oh that's a (laughs) (laughs) no-go the guy's just like ragdolled in the air and they're just like (laughs) lifting his like totally knocked out body off the train yeah fuck that but it's true because everything you're saying andy like this is an ode to workers like i'm here watching this big action thriller and all i can think is where's james bond I know how James Bond would solve the situation. And the film proves, no, James Bond can't 
save us here. Like it's actually mm-hmm. not going to work. Here's the practicals of all of this. And look, it's these moments of small hero. I mean, they're so like radical heroism. I mean, the way that they do, you know, go to stop the train does feel incredibly heroic but yeah. it's not like a sexy man a former marine you know coming down from the sky yeah. it's about the yeah, workers who dude. collaborate right and bond alert this film was originally slated to be directed by martin campbell oh who, uh tony took over the project from campbell in pre-production at, at a certain or very early on in the process but you know you got to wonder if martin campbell was the director uh, of this film you got to wonder if he would have deployed bond yeah yeah parachute him in with a tuxedo yeah, yeah. <laughs> half drunk you know i mean if rosario dawson was on the train he would have got his ass on there that's for yeah. sure bond would have found one way or another to get there today like everybody that's in a fucking situation i feel like in a movie now has like this background written in where it's like well they used to be in special operations you know like everybody even if it's mm-hmm. a fucking worker now it's like well their specialty the reason that they're able to handle the crisis is because of their military training because they were a fucking navy seal during the war on terror or some shit like that and this movie like in that moment just basically is like it doesn't fucking matter dude like you could be a trained military man and like you're not gonna fix this situation the train just again, doesn't care doesn't care doesn't and, and again it's just like what does that matter it doesn't fucking matter like you know what matters the fucking guy who's been working on this railroad for 30 fucking years all the live long day this balding dude with a ponytail who's a welder like those are the guys that are going to understand this situation and they didn't need to get like hazed in green beret fucking training in order to simply contribute in america you know Mm -hmm. i did love to just because it got mentioned uh the detours into fox news and like fox news and scope where it does feel like it's it's almost sports casting this entire play-by-play of the train crisis anytime we had a facsimile of of fox news i thought it was extremely funny dude and one thing i love too did you guys notice in all that news coverage anytime they they would like show some like file photo of anyone involved it was like the most like ugly like mug shot of, yeah. of every single care everybody looks it looks like a fucking like jail like mug shot oh, of yeah. everybody everybody looks like nick nolte in that famous like yeah. nick nolte mug shot ethan soupley getting smeared all over <laughs> pennsylvania televisions dude, dude i love all of them they look yeah chris pine like when they show his photo it's like yeah ryan i'm with you like yeah that's the dude who hit his wife for sure like, I mean, there's no question about it <laughs> yeah they, these guys are like everyone looks so scummy like i love it yeah and there's a lot of good you know like background extras like big fat guys and like really like you know really just like normal looking people or at least to me sort of like midwestern looking people yeah because again like you said i mean like he in preparation was like hanging out at train yards like he was he was hanging out too yeah yeah they were like hanging out with these people and and i feel again in that like michael mann way of like really appreciating authenticity like again it ain't about realism but it is about authenticity for sure yeah denzel did a did a you know some shifts on a on in a train in a train yard and he basically said like the train is scary and the train will hurt you you have to like be focused and you have to like be smart you know like it's a scary thing managing that Mm -hmm. like you can it's just as simple as falling over you know but like there's all these all this shit yeah and they and they have a 
ton. I mean, most of it is practical. Oh yeah. I mean, like I saw an interview with Denzel where he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm on top of that train. Like I am on top of that. And even if that train's only going for those shots, whatever, 20, 30 miles an hour still like that is extremely harrowing to be in that or on top of all that steel that will not stop on a dime. Yeah. No, thanks. Yeah. But yeah, so we do have a train that, that stopped on a dime in uh in train in the snow yeah because not as good of a train <laughs> no no definitely not 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 nearly as exciting a, of a train itself i did love the way that that zagreb trip is uh closed out because just before they have to you know hop back on the train to to head back home and then put their theory into practice and see how well their cooperative can can see these children home without their instructor it's because yeah they are they go to the zoo and they decide they're going to get a group photo together and the instructor who's who's <laughs> very ill and about to be rushed off to the hospital and put in an ambulance you know the guy next to him kind of nudges him he's like come on come on smile we're going we're about to take a picture here and he says i don't feel like smiling it's more and more pain. Oh, God. And I dude. was like, dear God. And it's, dude, and it zooms out to reveal that the teacher is on a rocking horse uh, sitting yeah. in front of all these children. But yeah, I was fucking dying at the teacher. Uh, he's just like, oh, my stomach hurts, you know, like as this trip is going on. And I was just fucking cracking up. And then ultimately it's like, yeah, this guy's going to just like fucking die at the zoo. And then they have to fucking cart him off. It was so incredible. Like I, I, you know, you're thinking it's a children's movie. You know, is this guy really going to just like, Drop dead. Yeah, drop dead in front of all of them. And like, yeah, basically. Yeah. But it got me thinking about just that idea of, especially with children, this idea of possibility about instilling lessons learned and the cooperative. Maybe you all can can succeed where I have failed. Dragi Ljubane i sva djeco, dragi moji zadrugari, nisam mogao više, malaksao sam, a vi budite pametni i sad pokažite da ste zadrugari. I da ćete moći i bez mene stići kući. Ljubani, ne daj nikomu iz vlaka sve do našeg sela. Djeco, slušajte Ljubana kao da sam ja na njegovom mjestu. Težite se junački. U mislima vas prati, štiti vaš učitelj. Look at what you can accomplish. I, I've given you all I can. Now go, go, my children. Like, fly. <laughs> and that's like kind of what that moment felt like to me when he yeah. says like i only feel pain like i'm yeah. i'm an adult like i don't have that optimism anymore <laughs> mm-hmm. well it is that it is that old world dying it is that old yeah. world before uh you know comrade tito would come along it's that old world like letting go towards this this future of of harmony and unity for sure but it is nice that they get back, you know, on the same train. They just like, I mean, I don't know why I would have assumed that the train that rode those rails down to their their countryside town would have multiple trains on it. But they do get back on that same train car <laughs> that does say the, the Harmony Cooperative on it. And yeah, I mean, tensions come to a head. They, yeah. they reach a, a big snowbank. The train can't push through it. And that's actually, you know, one of my favorite things to watch. I've always like found it weirdly relaxing is watching videos of trains just plowing through snow and Mm -hmm. seeing the snow fly everywhere and it was funny when i was trying to do research for this movie 
in typing in the Croatian title for it, I ended up primarily coming across videos of Croatian trains blasting through snow, which I thought was kind of fun. Like that's usually what came up before this film did. Wow. That's a, that's a deep dark hole to go down on the internet (laughs) for sure. I know. Well, it kind of reminded me of the train forums for those, uh, those guys talking about where the shooting locations were in the gauntlet, you know, like the train folks on the internet really know, uh, know their stuff. I, I couldn't help too, though, you know, having, uh, the, the luxury of, of seeing where this whole project wound up <laughs> for, for, for Tito and for the former Yugoslavia. I, I couldn't help, but constantly also be kind of seeing the, 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 the darkness foreshadowed in like the infighting, the, the, the constant sense that this could all crumble at any moment, right? If, if, if we don't have the unity, if we don't have the harmony, if we don't have the, the chief, uh, then, then my goodness gracious, suddenly we're all running around in Adidas tracksuits and killing each other. (laughs) It wouldn't be too long after this when it would all, all start coming uh, off the rails, so to speak for, for all these people. But that's what happens pretty much right away. The, the, in a moment of crisis, a, a brawl does break out. There is, there's fractured cells, you know, because Lubin wants to ration the food to make sure that they can protect themselves and everyone gets a fair share throughout the throughout the evening and however long that they'll be stuck on this train. But Pero, you know, he has his splinter cell. He's like, nah, we're going to be eating meat. We're going to be gorging on sausages. We got yeah. all the candies. Like, we're going to have a great time. And they head to a different train car. They set up the party car. <laughs> yeah, they set up the yeah. party car. And then there's Draga who who takes ill because of this this pain that she's seeing in front of her she's seeing the cooperative falling apart and it materializes in literal illness and she spends the majority of the rest of the film just sweating and crying dude having fever dreams dude i love it they kept coming back to her (laughs) and she's just like slumped over sweating profusely and she just kept saying like you're all cowards. You're afraid of skulls. <laughs> like, dude, yeah. it was some, it yeah. was some really haunting shit, yeah. man. Like, again, she's she's thinking back on the wedding, right, and and mm-hmm. all this, and how Para freaked out. But but it's also right. She's she's condemning them. She's condemning what they're trying to do, but only through her her like fever dreams, dude. It's oh, yeah. amazing. Yeah, and it's it's awesome too because you know like she gets gets sick because you know Pero and, and Lubin are are fighting and the you know the unity is being being destroyed, whereas another kid gets sick because he has too much chocolate, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and he's just like fucking knocked out. Yeah. Uh, and then they put him, you know, they set up like I guess whatever like the infirmary. The, yeah, the infirmary, and they've got them both lying on these benches, but the one kid is just wrecked yeah. from gorging. <laughs> Yeah, dude, he's got he's got the he's got the chocolate shits or whatever, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and I love that they sing about it too because there's the there's the anthem of the cooperation that they're all singing throughout the majority of the film, but there's also yeah. a couple like resistance songs of yeah. singing about their meat, like we've got our meat, we've got our chocolates, like we're sitting pretty. <laughs> P- 
Harrow's Boys and the Meat songs were 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 driving me wild, man. I fucking loved it because like <laughs> even like later, there's a point when like you know Luban's crew, the the Harmony Co-op, actually is like getting off the train and they're they're actually now gonna go and and see if they can help and and maybe like remove some snow and just get this train rolling and like Paro and and whoever's left with him at that moment, they like explicitly start singing a song about how like we've got meat, they've got work, we're the shit, these guys suck, and I just love that song. But I also thought it was amazing that like they had to just come up with that song on the spot, and they're like, I know they're 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 perfect, they're word perfect together on the the Paro like meat uh, anthem or whatever, man. It's yeah, amazing. and you know, as an American, I can appreciate uh, they have a line in there. Uh, only an idiot does what they're told. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, dude. Like, I get it. I get it. You know, like personally, I'd probably be helping the co-op, but like, I get it. You know. Yeah. There's also a lot of like, I I really because you know it's just you know Eastern European cinema, man. I just I I I I really love any moment in in these kinds of like in films from these regions where there's just suddenly like somebody's like, oh, I'm hungry. I need a bite to eat, and they literally just grab like a three foot long like sausage and just like just bite off a hunk of it you know <laughs> yeah. like i there's a lot of that going on just big old like summer sausages and they're not they're not cutting slices off they're just taking a big old bite of that oh. and you know it looked like uh, nestle was alive and well uh in yugoslavia at the time <laughs> oh yes. yeah yeah oh yes. yeah mm-hmm. oh yeah <laughs> oh yeah but yeah, you know, the conductor's trying to be a mediator throughout all of this, but he is also still relatively curious. He he does kind of admire the splinter cell, and it's interesting. You know, he tries to suggest, like, ah, Pero, like, do you, what do you think? Like, is this is this working? You know, like, is this going to be a long-term strategy here? Look at everyone else is warm. You know, we're heating up the other car. Sure, you have some food, but what if you run out? Because that's eventually what happens. They run out of their food, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then and one, like, by one, one by one. One by one, yeah. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Leaving that lousy weasel. That's his, again, going back to what we were talking about before, that's like what what his presence in the movie is. Like, he is just this sort of... Yeah, the Socratic figure that's just asking questions, right? I mean, he isn't just like, Pero, you're a dumbass. Like, go in that car. Like, he's 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 allowing him to to make the realization for himself. He's not he's not, you know, directing him. He's he's simply like inquiring about his own free choices, his own free decisions. And these lessons aren't really hitting because what is the first <laughs> thing Pero does in the morning after they sleep through the night on this stopped train? Yeah. He sneaks in while everybody's sleeping to steal a bunch of food. Um, but he is caught red-handed by Lubin, our guy. He sees him. He calls him out for the weasel he is. And he's, you know, he, he goes right after Pero and, again, just exiles him from the, the train itself. He kicks him off the train. He's like, how mm-hmm. dare you come in here while we were all sleeping and stealing what we've been preserving for everyone for the good of the cooperative. Yeah, biggest rat. I'm telling you, dude. One of the yeah. biggest rats I've ever seen in a movie. <laughs> so it's very satisfying when they, like, yeah 
pummel him in the snow, and Pero gets his gets his ass whooped. Well, on the flip side, you know the uh, the execs uh, at the railroad company certainly also are allowed to feel their way uh, through uh, you know this crisis, uh, and in particular, I do want to bring up you know the the sort of like end result of that uh, helicopter attempt is uh, the the derailment of the train that was uh, you know like uh, pushed put. Pu- pushing yeah so the first thing that they 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 come up with because again rosario dawson like the the actual like worker on the ground who understands these things and understands what's on the train right off the bat she's like derail this fucking thing like it's out in the middle of nowhere like you know let's derail it but the the company of course again as marsh pointed out doesn't want to lose all that stuff so so they come up with the idea of they're gonna they're gonna get another locomotive in front of it in front of this train and they're just gonna get it to just slam on its brakes and then also lower down the commando for his you know his commando raid on the train yep. you know the yep. commando raid on the train but but as Denzel is pointing out the entire time, like you cannot like just get in front of that thing. Anything in front of that thing is gonna get blown away, pushed off the tracks, and that's inevitably yes, what happens to his friend, yeah, uh, Judge Stewart, Judd. the, the the engineer of that that um, you know ill fortuned first attempt at, at stopping it. But and uh, you may have noticed uh, that's a real derailment they oh, did yeah. on set. And uh, again, you know, something obviously I know Tony was very proud of, like, oh, yeah, yeah, we got to derail a train, derail a train for real, Hell you yeah. know, yeah. and like, again, you know, covered by Lord knows 20 cameras. Uh, it is a, a, a crazy, crazy sequence. Oh, like, you it's, know, it's still jaw dropping after all these years. Yeah. Because they, they yeah, now every, I mean, yeah, I'm sounding like such an old fogey, right? But it's like, now everything <laughs> is CGI'd, you know? But like, yeah, this is that, this is, that's what, what you see in this film is very much like a, a lost, if not dying art in cinema of like pure physical, real, practical, material spectacle. Like, you want to see a train get smashed? Let's smash a fucking train. But, you know, it's also crazy because, again, we were talking about, like, the the source material. And and Ryan, when you even were sort of, like, you know, questioning some of what's going on in here and the the choices that are made, you know, along this way. Like, for the most part, I, I was, like, reading into it. Like, everything we see them attempt they actually did try to do with the the real life, like it, it, the exact same real life scenario that happened in, it was in Ohio actually. Yeah. Did the real train also have like dangerous chemicals yes. on it? Yes. It did. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like they, they put down these things on the tracks that are like these clamps that are just, you know, mobile derailing units. Right. And, and again, Denzel's like, yeah, it's going to fucking, now, yeah, yeah. it's going to blast through those. And it does. And then like, I think one of the craziest moments uh, of again, just like dumb, goofy solutions that these idiots are trying to come up with. They just get a whole bunch of cops at a certain point to line up along the tracks and they're attempting to, with their rifles and shotguns, shoot a button that is like the size of a half dollar speeding by at 70 miles an hour. They're going to try to shoot that emergency shutoff button with their rifles. Real and, gauntlet moment. Yeah, real gauntlet <laughs> moment, dude. Yeah, open fire, right? <laughs> And of course, it's like, 
such a bonehead plan. It doesn't work. But I read in Ohio, they, they, did really, they yeah. really did try to do yeah. that when shit. Oh my shoot the fucking train. Yeah, dude. until somebody pointed out that the button they were shooting at was right next to the fuel tanks. They yeah. were like, stop, stop. I will say, you know, one thought I had while watching all of these solutions, and maybe this is still foolish and the film failed to, to convince me of my the errors of my ways. I did think like, well, maybe instead of dropping the guy on top of the train, with the helicopter and the harness like what if they had lowered him so he could have held on to the railing near that button and then just press the button and then the helicopter could have like lifted him out yeah. from you're, there you're 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 <laughs> i'm still in 007 <laughs> mode yeah you're in 007 <laughs> mode man holy shit like i mean that train is going what like 70 some miles an hour the yeah. helicopter is trying to match its speed there's wind he's on a he's on a a, like a, a wire of some kind they're jostling just I seemed mean, like a little bit of a better idea than shooting it but for sure for the sure. only time i've ever seen it work was when melville did it with like miniatures in <laughs> in Unfleek, you know yeah. and they lowered down, lower yeah. down you know? yeah with action figures you know yeah. yeah that's that's the only way you could pull that shit off but no, I mean, like, uh, honestly, what you see in this movie, as wild and crazy and as 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 Hollywood action as as you think it is, more or less, like, actually happened. And even the ultimate solution for for how they're going to stop the unstoppable train that Denzel's like, there's only one way to do this. You got to get behind it and grab it by the ass and drag it. You know, that's that's yeah. the only way you can start to slow it down. And that's, again, exactly what happened in Ohio. These like two guys on a train just just chased the fucking thing down and, and coupled up on its on its rear car and and just started pumping the brakes. I mean, like it's it's awesome. It's so cool. I will say really inspired bit of historical revisionism, though, because, you know, I read I had missed the bit about the whether the real train had the chemicals, but I did read. That, you know, it was more of a, it was kind of a straight shot and they had stopped it. But the film, very inspired, uses this climax for like, well, if they make it to Scranton, there's this really huge curve that uh, is aligned right next to a ton of fuel canisters. (laughs) So so we really got to stop it before it gets there, because otherwise it's going to just blow up the whole city. Which really, yeah, really makes you question like the the urban planner that was involved in in putting that... That dangerous Stanton curve right next to all the fuel tanks. Because, like, yeah, I mean, maybe it's in real life those tanks are filled with something else. But, like, there is a curve. It seems to be that's a totally real place with a bunch of giant uh, silos. I mean, maybe it's filled with grain, I guess, but they kind of look like fuel containers. Yeah. Well, speaking of grain, in a very inspired and almost Kurosawa moment. One of my favorite bits in the film is when Chris Pine has to uh, like, uh, you know. When they're hooking up. Yeah, when they're they're hooking up and it's like not really working, you know, nothing's easy, right? And so he's got to go out there uh, and the car, uh, (laughs) you know, of the train uh, gets like busted open and all of a sudden there's just grain flying everywhere. So Tony has another like tech to play with in this action sequence and 
you talk about practical effects, uh, that's real. That oh, was yeah. like cereal. Uh, and that was not an effect, you know? And it's fucking insane looking. Like, it's so cool. Yeah. You ever been pelted with a with a box of corn pops at 70 miles an hour? Like, probably not a very pleasant experience. No way. And then, like, very soon after having your foot smashed between two train cars. Oh, Oof. my God. But see, again, too, you know, Marsh, like, you talk about the textures. And, and, it, and again, this is where I find so much beauty in this movie. Like, I mean, this is basically an entire movie of just very high speed, like, tracking shots. And man, I really was like just marveling at, um, you know, at various points in the film when these train, this, this train is rushing by and we have the helicopters and we have the, the pickup, all these cars, all this speed, you know, and, and there's so many shots of just like the, the, like the deep fall foliage and that, that like pop of color of like the reds and the oranges of this like Pennsylvania in autumn that is just like, like you said, and like Kurosawa almost in a telephoto way. That's just this extra kind of filter over the image of, of, of just like pastel, like oil paints, you know, just smeared across the image at, at, at high speed. And you know, that was, that was a production problem is that they, they started to run out of autumn, you know, like any film is doing (laughs) seasonal shooting and they had to like reconfigure, you know, certain things, uh, because they basically lost the foliage at a certain point, they still had shots to get. So they had to be like, all right, well now what do we do? You know, uh, because that was such an essential part of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's looks great. Yeah. I didn't think about it this way, but you know, we had at one point on the pod, we had done like, you know, autumn leaves as a movie. Yeah. And I was like, man, I'd, I'd now include this in my autumn leaves su- yes. sure. suggestion. You know, it has that regional flavor of just seeing the Northeast at a certain time of year. And speaking of crossover, uh, Train in the Snow, certainly a, a great candidate for uh, our Let It Snow episode. But of course. Oh, yeah. Pair it with White Reindeer, you know? Come on. Yeah, the ending of Train in the Snow is so wild because. These kids, they, with no gloves, decide to go and just dig in the snow. He's like, well, a hundred small hands are better than one. Like, we'll all, we'll contribute. We'll dig the snow with all of you. And I'm just watching this and I'm thinking like, oh my God, these kids, like all of them are just going to be totally frostbitten by the end of this. I mean, they're given like little plates or some sort yeah, of like, like paper plates. Yeah, that's the big solution. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> that's how Pero finally contributes. He gets the idea, yeah. you know, the real half-assed idea, by the way, of, uh, of let's, let's use these paper plates. Yeah, their hands were still like covered in snow when they were using the plates, <laughs> yeah. I noticed, you know, yeah. Pero. Fuck you. Yeah, but I'm like, oh, burr. You know, like that's just, I don't know, it's got to be so cold. Little children hands. Yeah, no doubt about it. And yet, it works. It works. <laughs> it it works. works. Don't doubt the, the co-op. Yeah. <laughs> and we are left with like some wild parting wisdom from the conductor because just before he leads them in one final anthem uh, to sing the song of the cooperative again, he does kind of laugh and smile and say, the fighting never ceases. Again, dude, 
foreshadowing the balkanization of uh, the former <laughs> Yugoslavia and how they will be plunged into 30 years of war shortly after the death of Comrade Tito and the collapse of the Harmony Co-op. You're 100% correct. Haunted, it's dude. There, it it dude. stuck with me, dude. I was terrified. I, I, saw, I saw all these kids suddenly, like, <laughs> on the opposite ends of a battlefield of a war-torn Sarajevo, scoping each other out. Yeah. Once brothers. Yeah. <laughs> When people come together, heart alone will drive the train, and that's certainly not what happens. <laughs> that's you know? true. Yeah, that parting wisdom is so nice. I, I have to quote it. Every railway on the go needs a train stuck in the snow. For only when you're in trouble do you realize a small person is worth double. When little people come together, heart alone will drive the train. Uh, words to live by. Very much yeah. so. And those are the words that, that you know Frank lives by in Unstoppable. I think so. Yeah. You know, and again, reflecting on this movie for me as in another kind of like almost, you know, just another little note of melancholy. uh, I guess I just didn't like really know it at the time that this was Tony Scott's last feature film. Um, I thought, I was like, oh, yeah, he made something else after this. But I was like, oh, fuck, this was his last feature film. Tony Scott was apparently like a very intense very intense person and almost to me like it it sounded like very much himself uh, like an adrenaline junkie that that part of his his draw to the movies and the big movie business was that like making these movies was kind of like a, a a life or death thing you know of like careers made or broken working with guys like Jerry Bruckheimer and hundred million dollar pictures and and the fact that one bad one can destroy your life and you'll never work again and like I saw him mention it somewhere and I saw somebody else talking about it. like Bruckheimer said his first meeting with with Tony Scott he's like we were all camping we were all on a hike somewhere and he said suddenly Tony Scott he barely knew him he's like I just look over and he is just like three climbing some like rock face next to them. He's like in bare feet and bare hands. He's Whoa. just suddenly like risking his life for, for God knows what, just for the thrill of it. And I saw him say in an interview, like it's fear, fear of failure that drives me. And again, this like, ugh. that's what Altman said. He didn't, he never slept because he was afraid. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I get it. And like, so for me, again, Hollywood, you, you talk about the metaphorical content of these trains in these movies. Like, I see this train as like whatever that that demon is inside him that he was spending his life in making these movies trying to to maintain control over. You know, and it's it's so beautiful and also kind of melancholy that this movie is about just simply taking this runaway thing, this unstoppable force that is filled with destruction and just reining it in, getting control of it, proving you can do it. And that like that fear of failure again was like his 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 jazz, his juice or whatever. And then two years later, like he's gone, you know, like, and, and again, I think most people probably know, like, but via suicide, via like a very unexpected suicide. But when you start to connect it to all these other patterns of behavior and these, these, these horrifying feelings that he started to express, even in interviews of being like, I'm not a happy guy. Like, I I don't know how to stop help. You know, it's crazy. And this movie now has so much extra, um, extra meaning for me in, in, in reflecting on that. Yeah. 
it's a it's a fascinating final film because um, I d- discovered that after having watched it, I d- too assumed that Tony Scott had like one or two others after that. I'm really glad that's what you you said you didn't know because I thought we were going to wind up here in another Ian Curtis situation where I was going to yeah. be like, this guy didn't know Tony Scott jumped off the bridge. <laughs> 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 like, what the hell, right? God oh, damn. No, of course, I remember that. Well, yeah. I mean, what can I say? Uh it was a it was a wonderful it was a wonderful week you know we got the the moving train and the Im- immovable train and I think yeah you we know, got the we got the train moving that needed to be moving and we stopped the train that shouldn't have been moving we that's did it. true and it's when true. you put it like that yeah that's a that's a big that's a big W even though you know Ryan he bucked up against the topic a little bit and he crashed right through it like the snow in train in the snow and uh, came out the other side choo-chooing in the landscape yeah listen you take you take these two films you put them together you have a harmonious cooperative that's right yeah but yes i mean these were these were unstoppable trains and these were our trains where we could sit and think and reflect you know so when you think about trains and cinema what are what are the ones that um really uh ignite your steam engine i mean certainly as you guys mentioned uh, too many to name here but uh the num- number one you know emperor of the north pole or emperor of the north as it's also known the great robert aldrich film from 1973 where lee marvin plays a number one a hobo who is the greatest rail rider of them all. And he does battle with Ernest Borgnine as Shaq, the most sadistic railroad cop there is. And they're sort of like locked in eternal combat while Keith Carradine as Cigarette, the newcomer, you know, wannabe a number one rail rider tags along and is uh, verbally abused by Lee Marvin for and about, physically <laughs> and physically abused by Lee Marvin for uh, at least a good hour. Uh, it's you know it's everything I want. It's uh, you know big dudes from uh, you know classic Hollywood like swinging chains and bats at each other on the back of a freight train. Uh, and I also you know I was. Uh, trying to think about what I was going to say and to get in the spirit uh, of Ryan's movie, you know, another great train movie about a train that doesn't move is the train oh, yeah. by John Frankenheimer from 1964, where uh, the point is to stop the train from getting out of the yard. So it's like perpetually not going anywhere. And that's a, a fantastic movie where Burt Lancaster and a bunch of good French actors try to uh, save France's heritage, their art from being stolen by the Nazis as they, the French resistance springs into action and goes after, was it Paul Henry, right? Uh, uh, who's the Nazi? Yeah. It's, uh, no, it's, um, it's, oh shit. It's someone great. Man, it's a- man. It's, uh, yeah, it's man for all seasons. Uh, Paul Schofield. Schofield. Yeah. yeah. Great performance from Paul Schofield. Oh, yeah. Sorry. I didn't remember his name, but, yeah. uh, that movie speaking of, you know, practical effects, Frankenheimer was bragging for the rest of his life. We used real dynamite on that set. You know, mm-hmm. they're they're derailing shit. They're blowing shit up. And I also think it was the last black and white scope film 
like released in Hollywood, oh, wow. you know, as like when they regularly did it, right? Mm-hmm. Obviously, it's like a choice after that. But, Interesting. Uh, yeah, it's a it's a great film. You I know? love it. So. You know, I I almost picked my other. Pick, I mean, I, I couldn't not pick Unstoppable, but my other pick, which I just want to throw out here as another like recommendation that I thought to bring to the pod, was a movie I know you're a fan of, Marsh. Dark of the Sun. Oh, yeah. Which is a wild-ass <laughs> train ride. Yeah. Uh, have you ever seen that one, Ryan? Dark I of the haven't, Sun? actually. Oh, man, yeah. It's uh, Rod Taylor and uh, Jim Brown, and they're part of some, some, some dirty mercs who have to go, you know, in the middle of the Congo during the crisis, save some missionaries, but actually just go get some diamonds that some rich fucker wants, and then try to escape on this train with all these people. And it is a nasty, dirty, violent movie. Mm. Uh, and I think has maybe the first like chainsaw fight in the history of cinema, which is uh, pretty fucking badass. Wow. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, the trains are, are very important to all of us. I'd have to also toss in my train recommendation. Oh you yeah, know, please. Uh, if I, if I had to, honestly, if someone was to tell me like, desert island film what are you bringing with you honestly it would probably be james bending's rr oh yeah because that's something i can just watch on loop forever maybe the most psychedelic movie i've ever seen you watch those trains enter and leave the frames and that signature james bending way the way he captures the paths and after a moment after a while you stare at it and you just feel like you're you're looking at something totally abstract. It's a beautiful, beautiful film. It is like the purest train movie. And, and yeah, I, I got to see it uh, on 16 millimeter in a parking lot in the rain. Oh, wow. And next to the like Metra. Next, next to the Metra. And uh, that was insane. But you're right. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's it. If you want to see trains moving across the landscape, uh, that's the one. That's the one. Well, it was uh, my topic this week, but next week it is, of course, Andy's topic. What's up, man? Well, uh, as you both know, our listeners do not. Um, uh, I've been um, dealing with uh, an, an illness in the home. Um, uh, my girlfriend and and my uh, beloved dog, Chauncey, the sweetest goodest boy ever uh he's he's very ill at the moment and um has a sort of heart condition that we're we're dealing with and over the last few weeks i've i've given you both the the sort of like you know the drama the 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 story of of what we've been going through but it's it's led to me going in and out of a lot of various doctor's offices and animal hospitals. And so I just started to, of course, reflect in all the time I've had just waiting in these hospital uh, rooms and, 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 you know, entrances and waiting areas. So uh, there's a lot of good movies set in those spaces. So... Let's dive in, because I don't think we've done this quite yet. I think it's about time for the Gauntlet Boys to uh, to check in to the old hospital. So, hospitals. Yeah, we're due for a checkup. Yeah, we're oh, due for shoot. a checkup, dude. It might be an emergency <laughs> at this point, so we're, uh, we're going in, you know? And of course, you know, we got the Lars von Trier's return to the hospital recently you himself. Certainly do. So, so it's been on my mind. So next week, folks, we are... 
We're going in. We're checking into the hospital. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at Gauntlet Movies and send us an email at gauntletmoviepodcast at gmail.com. Thanks, everyone. Frank, you're right about the derailment. They're, uh, they're planning an attempt outside of Oslo. Tell them idiots it ain't gonna work. That portable derailer is worthless. So she already told us. Frank, this is Oscar Galvin, VP of Operations. Patched in at his request, open mic. You know, we are derailing 777, Frank. It's a done decision. Like it or not, it's our best option at this stage. Best collateral damage in our club. It's already being evacuated, and we can't let 777 make it to Stanton. Look, Mr. Galvin, with all due respect, I've been railroading 28 years. I'm telling you, we got a real chance to stop this thing. No, we already tried. That was from the front, where Long Hood leads back. It's a different situation. We got more control now. What if I cancel the derailleur and you fail, Frank? Huh? That train will be doing 70 miles an hour into that elevated S-curve in Stanton. The damage will be 100 times worse. Right. I'm just telling you, the portable derail is worthless. You got too much train traveling entirely too fast. Maybe 1206 should just stay on it as a backup. Look, I am not jeopardizing more personnel and more property just because some engineer wants to play hero. End of discussion. That train is our property. It's our decision. Now you stop your pursuit or I will fire you. You already did. Already did what? You've already fired me. I received my 90-day notice in the mail 72 days ago. Forced early retirement, half benefit. So you're going to risk your life for us with three weeks left? Not for you. Not doing it for you. Frank, see that thing. Mr. Galvin, this is Will Coulson, your conductor. I'm letting you know we're going to run this bitch down.